Can you hear me, brother? Yes, sir. How you doing? Doing all right. I'm like this camera in the studio. What it's gonna have to do for the day. Did you, did you see the script? Uh, yeah. All right. Let me check and make sure we live. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the BCSA Sports Wrap. Brian Fulford, AD Drew. Hold up. Let me, let me pause on deck. Brian is not here today. Brian just got through uncovering the SIAC baseball championships. So had to pull in some reinforcements. So who do I have? My homeboy from the loop, Kelvin Carter. Kelvin, my brother, how are you doing today? Oh, doing well, man. Just got back in from D.C. So uh, looking forward to today's show and looking forward to getting into it, see what we got on the sports wrap. Chocolate City, man. Yeah, you call it that. Good place. Good place. <laughs> Good place. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's, all, it's always great to get D.C., especially if you come out there with a check or two. We ain't going to get into your personal business, though, but that's always a good right. thing when you're in D.C. But, uh, Hey, everybody, check this out. This is what I need you to do. I need you to do one of these following things. I need you to hit that thumbs up button if you're following us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, whatever platform you're following us. Give us a good rating. Uh, download this. Share this with a friend. Make sure you hit the subscribe button in addition to the thumbs up button. That way we can keep the algorithms going. And if you feel like, just if you feel like, my brother, or my sister, donate to us. Give us a little small, some, some pocket change, uh, Kevin. I'm not asking for a whole lot. Just a little pocket change, man. You think that's too much to ask for about a cup of coffee from, from some people, man? Oh, no way. It's always a As Kevin lost his connection there, we'll allow Kevin to get a moment to, uh, to jump back in. So you hit the wrong button, man. See, I shouldn't ask them for money, man. They they sniped you when we asked them for money, man. Right. Yeah. But hey, we got we got an action-packed show today. We got some champions who are gonna be here with us today, Kelvin. Okay. All right. Uh, it's hot baseball, softball, but where I want to get started at, Kelvin, is 
football. We can talk okay. football 24-7, 365. Let's, let's start off with this one. Coach Reggie Vaughn. Now, we know he's on the professional ranks right now, but he is HBCU alum, HBCU lifer. Coach there two HBCUs, that being Alabama State and most recently Virginia State. Coach Reggie Barlow was named the XFL Coach of the Year. He's getting his team ready for the XFL Championship on this upcoming Saturday. Just your thoughts on, hey, seeing one of our HBCU brothers going out and doing something on a professional level and proving himself. Well, I think it gives a, a lens to the students that he's dealt with, student-athletes that he's dealt with in his career in um, HBCU football. And I also think that it gives us another avenue of someone that, like, understands the dynamics of the players that we have in the XFL. Um, if you notice, the kid that was the quarterback of the uh, St. Louis Battlehawks a couple of years back ended up being the starting quarterback for the uh, Washington Commanders. So I think it, it's many people as we can get in these places and get these, you know, um, high quality coaches in these different arenas. You know, the USFL, I believe it just restarted today or it's about to start here soon. About three, it's about three weeks in. Yeah, three weeks in. So you got XFL, USFL, opportunities for guys to show that they can play next level. And often, you know, oftentimes, you know, long road travel. But, you know, the destination is, is, is where, it, where it needs to be, which is in the professional ranks. Coach Reggie Barlow, coached uh, at Virginia State. That was his most recent stop in HBCU land. He was 34 and 16, including a 5 and 5 campaign on his last year. He spent five years at Virginia State. Also, before that, he was at Alabama State, his alma mater, from 2007 to 2014, where he went 49 and 42. He was a draft choice of the Jacksonville Jaguars in 1996 and played eight seasons in the NFL as a wide receiver and as a kick returner. Uh, spent five years in Jacksonville, two years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and his final season in Oakland. Quote, Barlow, I am who I am because of HBCUs, because of Alabama State giving me an opportunity to come there to play college football. Also, giving me the opportunity to come back and be the head coach, uh, I learned so much from Alabama State, that experience, and, and then I was able to go to Virginia State, which is a fine university that gave me an opportunity to continue to be a better coach, to continue to learn my craft. So Reggie Barlow definitely giving his uh, shout-out, and that was from his interview on ESPN's first take. Uh, earlier this week. So, Reggie Barlow not forgetting his any final comments on Reggie Barlow, Kel? No, I just think it's a great thing, and um, I hope to see it as a, another avenue of our coaches that aspire to be professional coaches, be on professional staff. So, it should be a great situation for him as he um, transitions, and hopefully this can lead to NFL opportunities or opportunities to, you know, get into higher spaces in, in the NFL. All right. Speaking of NFL, Shaq Davis, Shaquan Davis, uh, outstanding wide receiver for the uh, South Carolina, for South Carolina State Bulldogs, part of that 20, the beginning of years, right, 2021 
national championship team under Buddy Pugh, where he signed a contract, a UFDA contract with the New Orleans Saints. I know my brother, I know my buddy Carlos Brown is giddy over that, but it was a six-figure contract, Kelvin, uh, for $750,000. So Shaq Davis not getting drafted, not one of the 260 players drafted, but uh, his guarantee is $216,000 of that $750,000. So he got a bag, my brother. He, he got a bag. Uh, what are your thoughts on the draft? Because I didn't get an opportunity to go over it last week because I was out of the show last week. So just give me your general thoughts on HBCU players and the draft. Well, and this is my opinion. We've been talking about this all week. I think there were 13 FCS players drafted overall, and they had a list out of it. And I believe a couple of kids from Jackson State made that um, one. list. Uh, one. one. Okay. So. And not to cut you off of that, of those players, there were 12 FCS and one Division two. Right. Well, 13 outside of the power. If you yeah. really look at it for what it's worth, um, I, I'm – Congratulations to the young man. I think it's a great deal that you are the undrafted free agent space is where it's supposed to be. If you're a GM of one of these teams, you have to keep your farm system happy, and we're not their farm system. Their farm system are your power five schools. So even if these guys – and, and I'll go on the record, I believe Shaq Davis is going to make a roster. The kid out of Jackson State is going to make a roster. And I, I believe they're going to make roster, 55-man roster, 53-man rosters. However – they have to keep their constituents happy. And we all looked at it and said that when you get below round five anyway, or outside of round three, it's all now, it's just invites to camp, it's pomp and circumstance, hearing your name called. So in my opinion, the GMs are doing what they're supposed to do. And now it does give you somewhat of an advantage because you get into a situation where as a UD, as an undrafted free agent, you can get to contract negotiations a little bit in a shorter period of time. So Shaq comes out, proves himself in New Orleans, uh, and they do what they're supposed to do, then he gets an opportunity to excel into a realm in terms of the pay piece earlier. But all this hemming and hawing about, you know, we should have more players drafted, it doesn't matter. It's not even financially feasible. Why would I pay the, the group that I don't really invest in this the attention and give them draft choices when I got a free minor league running for me in the SEC and in the Big Ten and and just keep them happy. Do the favor deals for whoever you're doing them for. And, you know, you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. So uh, I don't look at it as a slight. I just look at it as this is business. These are billion-dollar corporations that operate as such. And you are absolutely right. Kelvin, yes, we, don't have an a, we don't have an HBCU problem. We have a, a non-power five problem. So let me break that down. Of the 260 players who were picked, 216 of them came from the power five conferences. Your numbers, man, just like me. What does right. that equate to? 83%. Right. 83% came from a power five conference. So 
we can hem and haul all we want to about HBCU players. It's not about the HBCUs, just like you stated. It's about these GMs going where the owners feel comfortable. The owners playing to a certain constituent. Those owners and those constituents, they want to see the Alabamas. They want to see the Georgias. They want to see the Michigans. Those are the names that they want to see. Yes, we know the Middle Tennessee states, the Eastern Washingtons, the Coastal Carolinas, the Florida A&Ms, the Jackson states. Those are the meat, the bread, and the butter of these NFL rosters. But we, you know, they're going to get their opportunity. And iron sharp as iron, if you're good enough, you're going to get picked up. You may not get picked up by that team who. Most of those people who got drafted aren't going to make the team any doggone way, Kevin. The only people we know going to make the, the team is that first-round pick. Right. 90% of them second-round picks are going to make it. But if you if you, if you you a day three draft pick, your shot is just as good as a doggone UDFA player. So it, it is what it is. We can complain all we want to, but – it goes beyond HBCU. This is not HBCU bias. This is just bias against non-power fives. Well, and also, too, and if you look at it just from a strategic alignment, if you think about Tony Romo, Cooper Cup, Steve McNair, they all have something in common. They Joe were, Flacco. Yeah, Joe Flacco. FCS guys made a tremendous you know, impact in the league. Cowboys, L.A. Rams. Tennessee Titans, and so forth. So you can kind of just really disencompass it to the fact of why wouldn't I just make sure that the Bama name or the Power 5 name reigns high, keep the recruiting there, make my make my NFL recruiting easier when I go and drop in at, at Bama on, you know, for spring game and for a game. It's just, it just goes in. So until there's a continuity piece around, why we're why would we even devote to invest in drafting those kids? That is something that needs to be really, really studied. And it didn't. It, these are individualized corporations, you know. So that that's the reason why when you really study it, there are only certain guys that deal with these players anyway. But they deal with them from an economic standpoint. So if you were to go down and start looking at these payrolls, these rosters, and what these owners spend, some of these, some of the, some of it could actually come out in the wash. And you can actually see, I think a kid's got a better chance of making the Bengals because a kid's going because their owner is not going to spend any money because he's going to tell you I don't have it. And then he's going to get the best bang for his buck. So with that being said, I just think that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a Neil conversation with me just because, you know, most of we, we, we think with our emotions so much in the HBCU space, it's always emotional which we have to stop being like that. Get it out of your head. I believe, you know, on that same token, I believe that Jackson State fans are going to come up and show out this season because there's nothing more they want to do than prove everybody wrong. You know, and prove them wrong, prove the fact uh, that, you know, that this is what's going to happen. This is how this is going to be. And they, they, they want to prove the fact that we wouldn't just come in just because he was here. So you're going to see that same type of energy down there. Whether they get the same product, I don't know. We're going to have to see. 
I think you're 100% correct on that. Hey, my brother, I'll tell you what we get, we're getting ready to do. We're getting ready to go ahead. We're getting ready to take a break. I see our next guest is sitting in the back room. Kel, it's time for us to talk some softball, man. Okay. Softball's softball. always good. Softball is always good. You know, we've got the SWAC tournament coming up this uh, weekend. But on the Division Two level, we've had a couple of champions crowned this past week. And we've got the head coach of one of those champions with us right here. So stay tuned. Find out who that coach is. You are watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. Kevin Carter in for Brian. This is AD. We'll be right back. Supermarket sushi, really? No. Wait, Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> never not working. Never not working. Never, ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Standard protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. This is Ryan Fulford. A.D. Drew and I are co-hosts of the BCSN Sports Wrap. We talk about all things related to HBCU athletics. From the games, teams, coaches, and fan interest stories, we cover it all. You can find our shows on Facebook at BCSN Sports Wrap, YouTube at MyJBN Online, and everywhere you listen to podcasts like Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find the show on the Jericho Broadcast Network's app. Make sure to download. We look forward to you joining the conversation and being a part of the show. When you're looking for the latest information on Southern University Sports, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and HBCU Athletics, there's only one place to go. Tune in to the Carlos Brown Show, exclusively on the Black College Sports Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look at here, look at here, look at here. Look who we have joining us here, uh, Kelvin. Yes, Coach Mike Ellison. Mike, How you doing, Coach? Coach? Coach Mike Ellis. Coach, I, I need you to uh, unmute your microphone, if you could, for me. And when you unmute it, I want to hear you say the champ is here. Can't hear you, Coach. Still got you on mute. There we go.
Coach is still muted. Still muted, Coach. I don't know why it keeps going. Go. Keeps going to mute. How about now? Yes, sir. Hey, we can hear you well. All right. Good evening. How are you, gentlemen, tonight? We doing well, well fine, Coach. Congratulations. Thank you. So, Coach Mike Ellis, the champ is here. How does it feel? For, what about seventy-two hours later now? Sure. Uh, it's still a little surreal. Um, blessed more than I could ever imagine to be in the opportunity to have the opportunity to these young lady. and be at the Edwards University. It's just been an absolutely incredible ride and incredible experience. And, um, to do what we did, um, pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Yep, sure. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And I was there for all of it. I I think I got I wind up calling all four of you guys game. I know I did three. I have to go back and check and see if I happen to do all four. Give you a little bit of background on Mike Ellis. I'm sorry, this I'm on my second... computer with a little bit of a delay, I guess. All right. This is his second season with the Everwaters Tigers. His first as head coach. He has been head, a pitching coach and instructor since 1990 for several Midland High School teams around Northeast Florida. He is the founder and creator of Pure Power Pitch. He has instructed over 2,000 different athletes, several of which have it's gone a, a, on. AD, it's Ellison with an O-N at the Ellison. end. All right. I, I apologize about that, Coach. Coach Ellison has instructed over 2,000 different players, several of which have gone on to play in Division One and professional softball. And what I want to get into, uh, Coach, been a, it's been a whirlwind, probably six months Thank for you. you. You've kind of gone from seat three to seat two to seat one, all within a six-month ride. So just kind of tell us about the the ride from coming in, starting the preseason as the pitching coach, to being, do they still have the interim tag on your name or have they removed that yet? Like we're having a little bit of audio difficulty. Uh, that's a that's a question you'd have to ask the AD. <laughs> you'd have to ask Doctor Rich that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just going on my computer. It's a little dragging. I think it is. Um, I do have an iPad that may be a little bit more convenient for what we're trying to do. I'll tell you what, Coach. Uh, Want to go ahead and take a break while you log in on your iPad? I'm sorry. Let's do this. Let's take a break, Coach, while you try to log in on your iPad. Yes, sir. That'd be good. And we'll be – all right. You're watching BCSN Sports Wrap. 
Kelvin, AD, we'll be right back. Time to call a credit repair company to fix my credit. Hold the phone, man. You can do it yourself with Credit Versio. That's way too hard. Call the credit repair company. Most credit repair companies only work on one or two accounts at a time, making it slow and expensive. You won't figure that out for months. <laughs> Ignore him. Credit Versio's brilliant software scans all three credit bureaus, finds the accounts that are hurting your score, and guides you through the entire process. Anyone can do it. Let's fast forward and see the results. Wow, it's my own credit in six hundreds. You can do this. Visit creditversio.com. Madden and Associates is a sophisticated and experienced law firm located in your neighborhood. We're turning injury to cash. T. Madden and Associates obtained almost $2 million for my injury. They turned my injury to cash. Now, we can't guarantee how much your injury is worth, but we've recovered millions for our clients. Call T. Madden and Associates at 833-PAID-123. That's 833-PAID-123. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. Thank you guys for what you do for HBCU Athletics. This is a fantastic avenue for, for, for all of us. This is our ESPN, so we, 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 we love what you guys do. Brian, AD, Roy, all you guys at BCSN, we really appreciate what it is that you, got, you guys do for us. BCSN Sports Wrap. Kevin Carter sitting in for Brian, AD, and Coach Mike Ellison. Mike. Hey, sir. How are you tonight? Oh, that's much better than we were. Much that's better. Much I'm sorry. Better. I had, my uh, laptop uh, is on the road. I had to borrow an old laptop, and uh, <laughs> it uh, obviously was, like me, very old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you caught the question that I asked you before we uh, had to go into that commercial break. But uh, we were just talking about the whirlwind that you've kind of been on. You know, you started pretty much at Chair 3 in the offseason, moved over to Chair 2. Now you're at Chair 1 with the interim tag. So uh, having gone from the pitching coach, assistant coach, and now the interim head coach. So just kind of take us through the this, like, six-month ride that you have been on to get to – this portion of your job? Well, you know, the, it has been kind of crazy. Uh, when, when uh, coach Daly hired me a couple years ago uh, as the assistant coach, it was uh, just a blessing from God. He, he opened up a door for me that I was able to walk in at the time I was able to walk in. And then uh, as we started this season last year, we did it with kind of uh, just two pitchers and two catchers. And one of my main goals was to go out and uh, recruit some pitchers and catchers, which we did. Uh, knowing that we were going into this 
SEAC conference and we'll be playing three game series. We knew we needed more than just a couple of pitchers and a couple of catchers. So mm-hmm. did a good job recruiting there. And then we got the girls on campus, uh, started working them out, going through some drills, going through some training, um, getting them ready to go. And it was kind of, we kind of knew that Coach Daly was uh, probably going to leave at the end of this season uh, for some personal family issues that he was needed to take care of back in his home state in Pennsylvania. And so with, as we kind of went through the thing, all of a sudden it became, uh, got expedited, so to speak, uh, to where he needed to be up there to start at uh, his college in, in January to coach this season. So we found that out in November, kind of transferred some stuff over, responsibilities over to uh, me and the other coach at the time. And then uh, we went through the season as the season began to progress in. We had some things come up, and the other coach decided that he was, needed to resign. And so Dr. Rick asked me if I would uh, carry the team through the end of the season. I said, absolutely, would be honored to, and uh, it would be a privilege. And so the main thing I told the girls, the same thing I tell the girls all the time, um, God has a plan and a purpose for every one of our lives. First thing I tell them in the beginning of August is that uh, I'm a born-again Christian. I believe in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that I think that uh, he has a plan and purpose for every one of us. Like you said, three years ago, I was coaching middle school softball and uh, started the pitching program multiple years ago that has been very successful in the northeast Florida, southeast Georgia area. And um, through that, I was able to get into Edward Waters, and it's been just an absolute blast since then. I'm looking forward to, you know, like I told Dr. Rich, I said, you know, God will provide a way. God will provide a means. If this is what I'm meant to be, then this is where I will be. I told the girls the same thing. Uh, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds the future. And if he wants me to be your head coach, then that's where I'll be. Kelvin, you got anything for, for Coach Ellison? Well, other than just, you know, congratulations, Coach. Uh, I know it takes diligent work, especially coming through that, you know, K-12 K uh, component and working your way into the university piece. Um, what's the next year's travel schedule look like in, the, in terms of, you know, jumping into this new conference and, you know, like you said, going from two catchers, two pitchers to, you know, strengthening the, the roster. And for those that don't know, uh, can you give a little insight into the structure around how you're actually able to construct the roster under, you know, financial deficit per se, is, which is a little bit different than a basketball team or a football team? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Faison, our president, wants us to try to maintain a, a roster number between 20 and 25, which it uh, creates – a little bit of a problem for a little bit of uh, issues with the girls because we know we have a deep roster and, you know, there's only nine spots on the field. Um, I told the girls back in August that, hey, how many of you guys, by show of hands, how many of you were the best team on your – best player on your high school team or best player on your travel ball team? And 19 hands went up in the room out of 24. And so, look, there's only nine spots. So, we're uh, building some depth. We got uh, we had a lot of transfers in this year. We got uh, – the 2023 class, we pretty much signed and solidified that for the most part. Uh, we got one girl that uh, uh, decommitted uh, through the through the for, for various other reasons, but uh, had nothing to do with the changeover in the coaching. But uh, she chose to go to another university. But as far as our travel plans, it's it's kind of hard for me to say at this point. I've I've reached out to a few people or a few few coaches have reached out to me, but not being. Until that interim tag is removed or until I am solidified as the head coach, it's kind of hard for me to plan a schedule for uh, for, for next year if, if I'm not going to be the head coach. I, I'm 
I'd say I'm probably 98% sure that, uh, that I will be asked to retain the position, which I would love to do. So traveling was tough this year. Oh my gosh. It was, we had, uh, we went, we were on the road five straight weekends. Uh, we were supposed to have a break in there, but, uh, the weather with all, we were supposed to play all Benny. Um, after we came back from Jasper and we'd gone to Fort Valley and then we had supposed to play Albany at home. Uh, weather was not conducive to that. So talking with the SEAC and talking with uh, Coach Jason up there at Albany State, we transferred that game up there to his place. And then we had to go back to back weekends to South Carolina. So five straight weekends on the road took a toll on uh, a lot of people. A lot of the girls were tired. Uh, you know, we need that break kind of in between. We got the Easter weekend off and kind of rejuvenated some things and, we're able to come back and ready to go. So travel next year, trying to get us some uh, some games with, you know, I talked with the coach Hanover at Spring Hill, see if we could even, aside from the crossover, if we could possibly play them in a, in a series game. Uh, we'd like to be able to play uh, in a couple of tournaments uh, now that we're officially in that NCAA D2 category as opposed to NAI. I think that'll open up some opportunities for us to play in some, uh, some tournaments. Speaking of Spring Hill, Coach, a classic <laughs> matchup between Everett Waters and Spring Hill. And you were in D.C., Kevin, so I know you didn't get the opportunity to uh, catch it. For those who did not get a chance to catch that game, the game was scoreless through 11 innings. Yep. Let me repeat that. Scoreless through 11 innings, and I'm going off the top of my head. I do not have the stat sheet in front of me, but I believe at that point in time, I think the two teams had combined for possibly eight hits. One team had five, one team had three going into the 12th inning. Yes, sir. Then, Apple Waters opened it up, but let's put it in perspective. Apple Waters got, had a hit or two. But there, there was also a, uh, a few miscues along yep. the way by Spring Hill that opened it up. And anybody who knows good softball from great softball will tell you. The difference between a good softball team and a great softball team is the team that does not make mistakes and the team that takes advantage of the mistakes. Correct. Ever Waters finally was able to take advantage of a Spring Hill mistake because neither neither one of these teams were able to take advantage of each other's mistakes at that point in time. Just go through that marathon that you, that you were going through mentally and physically in that game. The two the two games in one. Yeah, it was um, I told the girls after this game after that game finished, we were out there in the outfield and I made a comment to him. I said this is a game that you will remember for the rest of your lives and people will talk about it for the rest of theirs. It was absolutely one of the most incredible games that I've been a part of ever. Um, the, the fact of trying to figure out a way on third base to score runs and figure out a way in the dugout to keep them from scoring runs and getting on base, calling pitches. Um, both pitchers were absolutely beast on the mounds to, to be able to go through that game and just, you know, even though we were depth, we had depth in pitching, we were in no position or I was in no position to make a decision to pull uh, Jojo, who ended up actually being the uh, tournament uh, MVP for the whole tournament. Um, I was not going to pull her in that situation. She was, as you said, scattering hits. We were getting three up, three down. They were getting three up, three down. 
we'd get a base runner and kind of get it over there to second base and we couldn't do anything with it. And then they would do the same thing. We were able to just kind of make some plays and uh, coach Hannah and that group over there, you know, I told her afterwards, I said, that was a classic. That was absolutely nobody should have lost that game in theory. And I made this comment and I still stand by it. That should have been the championship game. That's what a championship game is like. And as I'd walk by their dugout from the first base dugout to the third base dugout, I'd walk by there. I said, man, isn't this great? Isn't this great? This is what two number one seeds are supposed to do right here. This is what softball at this level is all about. Yeah. And one thing that we noticed uh, noted on the broadcast, whoever lost that game, we figured Tuskegee was going to beat them because whoever lost that game was going to be so emotionally spent along with the physical that it takes to play a 12 inning softball game. Yeah, we know it's softball. Pitching is not as big of a concern in softball as it is at baseball, but that was still 150 pitches between uh, each between those two pitches. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we came back that night. Uh, a bunch of the players, after we went out to eat, a bunch of the players came back to the game to watch Spring Hill and Tuskegee just to see who we were going to be playing the next day in the championship. And uh, we were sitting there, and I said, man, just imagine if we were out there right now. I couldn't even imagine being out there right now. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was one for the ages. That was absolutely uh, an incredible ball game, and it's unfortunate that somebody had to lose. And and you, nobody nobody really took the game. It just uh, you know became a situation of uh, who was going to who was going to outlast the other player. And we just we were able to make a couple plays here and there, and they made a couple miscues, as you said, and we took advantage of those. And that's what you have to do. And we were fortunate enough to come out on the winning end of that, uh, which saved us a lot uh, going into the Wednesday's game against Tuskegee, or Thursday's game against Tuskegee. Calvin? Well, I, you know what? Big time congrats, and I look forward to seeing what's going to go on in the next season, as also as we look at all of our programs across the country and just see, you know, how how putting a great coach with, with great talent uh, can produce some, you know, some success for the university, and hopefully this type of championship play uh, can be replicated across your athletic program as a whole, over to baseball, basketball, football. So, uh, congratulations again, and for being a uh, really good beacon of light for your university. Thank you, Mr. Kelvin. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, Want to talk about your championship game? Yes, sir. You guys, play Tuskegee two times in the tournament. You beat Tuskegee, ironically. By the same score both times in the tournament, that being by a score of eight to four, two different ways that you got your eight. But for you to let me let me slow down. Let, let me set the dynamic for those who do not follow SIAC softball. Tuskegee in the last decade has appeared in. Six SIAC championships. Let's put the asterisk on that. SIAC did not play softball in two of those 10 years that I'm talking about. So six of the last eight competitive seasons, Tuskegee has appeared in the championship game. They've won now four of those six. At that time, it, it coming in, it was five of the nine that, that they had won. So the power in the SIAC has been in Tuskegee. When it has not been in Tuskegee, 
It has stayed in the West, whispering here. Correct. All the states sprinkle one in. Claflin sprinkle one in. Who's not even, no longer even right. in the conference? Which we but beat. We beat Claflin in the uh, in the crossover one to nothing. Yeah. yeah, but every everybody else for the last decade has come from the West. So talk about beating the power, the powers in the SIAC. And someone asked this question of me. Is there now a shift in SIAC softball? I know what your answer, what you want your answer to be, but you know, uh it, it is this the start of a shift in SIAC softball? Well, uh, I don't think there's a shift. I don't I wouldn't call it a shift. I think there is uh a couple of teams that are now as competitive as Tuskegee has the and as Spring Hill has been. I, that's what I don't think it's a shift that the the West is now weaker than the East or the East is stronger than the West. I don't think it's that dynamic. I think it's the dynamic of that uh when you get uh coaches in that know championship softball and how to create a championship atmosphere and create a girls that can buy into that uh, championship atmosphere. I think that's what the dynamic is um, that allows the teams to be competitive. And, and you know, as good as I do it, Miss AD, you know that, Hey, winning breeds recruiting. I mean, you win. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to come. They'll come. Um, same thing in football when, you know, Alabama, Georgia, those powerhouses, Florida back in the day, um, you know, Oklahoma, as you start having winning programs and building winning programs and playing for championship, it's easy to recruit. You know, it's easy to go out there and knock on the door and say, hey, look, we're competing for a championship every year. We're competing for a national championship. We're competing for a conference championship. Those are the type of things that makes it easy to recruit. Well, Tuskegee has had that benefit for so many years. And so that's why they've been, you know, it's the I won't say it's a it's a switchover. It's not a switchover. It's not a, a shift in power. I think it's just a couple other teams from the east are now understanding and able to buy into that uh, that mantra of hey, we're going to compete and we need you to do it. Um, and so I think that's what it more of than anything. But that game you're talking about the two games, the similarities too. If you think about the similarities of those games, in both games uh, we were the visiting team. Uh, Tuskegee got us up. Uh, yeah, they jumped they, up on y'all both games, if I was up. Yeah, well, they, I wouldn't say – no, They jumped they, 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 they scored they first. Jump up, they, they scored first. The that, yeah, let's, don't they give them that. All right, so they took the lead the first game. We had yeah. – um, they, they went up one to nothing in the first game. I think the uh, – it was the third, maybe fourth inning. Uh, Brooke Rice, our catcher, came up and hit a blast over the right field fence. Tied uh, it up. Tied the game up. And then it's like I went over there and I said, hey, they're not going to give it to us. This is a game that's right, right where we want to be. We're 0-0. Zero, zero. We're right where we want to be. So now let's go. Let's just go play Everwater softball. Let's just go do what we do. We're just going to keep plugging away. We're going to be aggressive on the base pass. We're going to, you know, somebody's going to make a mistake, and we're going to capitalize on it. Uh, second game, you know, we ended up scoring in the first game. We ended up scoring a couple runs here, and then they scored one to make it 5-4, uh, to four, some 5-3, whatever it was, and, or 6-4, to four, whatever it was. And then we ended up scoring a couple more runs at the end of the game. Uh, then we came up in the second game. They scored two in the first inning on an error. We made an error on a bunt. Uh, our pitcher got a little aggressive and threw a ball away, and they scored a couple runs in that first inning. Um, and then, you know, it's like the third inning down the road. 
Skylar Gardner comes up, our right fielder, who was also uh, both Brooke Rice was also on one of the uh, uh, all-conference teams, and then Kyla Gardner was also on the all-conference team, uh, came up and and um, or all-tournament team, I should say. She was all-conference, but she was also all-tournament. All came up and hit a two-run shot to tie the game back up, and here we go. Hey, we're right where we want to be. We've got them right where we want to be. We were, we're in the middle of a game. We're tied up. It's the fourth inning. Hey, we can win this thing. Let's just go keep plugging away, keep doing our things. We're going to keep them off the bases. We're going to keep throwing leather at them. And uh, God shot, smiled on us, and we were able to, to come away with a couple of victories. Yeah. So, so tell me, uh -huh. what, what was the first thing Perez said to you when you got back to do ball? Actually, I haven't seen him. He called us. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him. He called us. Uh, we were actually in the lobby of the hotel uh, and packing up all our stuff. Collect. I was collecting all the uniforms, and he called Josh and the girl. I saw he wanted to be on a uh, conference call with everybody, so he just got in and goes just like, congratulations, that's awesome. You guys are amazing. You know, can't wait to get back. I'm so excited for the future of this program. And Coach Ellison, you did an amazing job and blah, 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 blah. And so it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty nice to have uh, Dr. Rich, the athletic director. She actually called me on the phone. Um, actually, she was on Josh's phone because my daughter, who is a, a junior at Georgia Southern, uh, called me on my phone to congratulate me. And <laughs> talking with her, and the Josh is handing me a phone. I was like, I'm on the phone with my, my daughter. Can I call you right back? My wife happened to be there. So it was a family affair for us. We were able to really enjoy uh, the opportunity to be together. And uh, But Dr. Rich, was. she sent me a text message. She said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of how you took this program, took the reins of this program, and just fought through everything that the girls had gone through. Because it was harder. On, it was hard for the girls. I mean, it's, that's a hard thing uh, for that kind of change to take place. Um, in that short period of time um and you know girls you know they're unlike guys guys can kind of just brush stuff off like that and move on girls are a little bit more and more emotionally taxed sometimes um but they told me from jump street coach mike we love you we got your back you know we, we believe in what you're doing we believe in you we, we know we're going to do this we're going to do this and to go um uh, 13 and 0 as a head coach uh in division two softball is Nothing I, I did is, is the girls believing in the system and believing in the process. And they'll tell you, she said, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, I, I always talk about, hey, it's a process. It's a process. Just trust the process. Just trust what we're doing. Believe in what we're doing. If you buy into it and believe in it wholeheartedly, we'll be rewarded. We keep doing the right things. God will smile on us. And that's kind of pretty much what, what, what happened. Got any last thing you want to get in there, Kelvin? You're muted. I know it's going to be a great recruiting season for you and just keep up the good work and looking forward to hearing, having the same conversation with the champion next year. I hate from your mouth to God's ears, brother. <laughs> hold, hold, hold up. I'm glad you said champion, Calvin. Uh, Coach, you know, every week on the uh, Black College Sports Network on the BCSA Sports Wrap, we do our baseball and softball top five rankings. Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to let me give the disclaimer. This is a ranking. This is not a poll where humans vote. This is an algorithm that we put together. We punch in the numbers. Yes, I'm, the, I'm one of the nerds who came up with the formula. I'll go ahead and say that. But we punch in the numbers. Take, we take the wins. We take the losses. We take the conference wins. We take the conference losses. We, 
We, we look at your trend. We look at your strength of schedule and a couple of other things. You know, I can't tell you the whole sauce, you know. Right. Mama, mama made good spaghetti sauce, but all you, but you only thing you knew in there, it was tomatoes. You know, you didn't right. know everything else that you put in there. So I can't tell you the whole sauce. Right. We put, uh, run a bunch of numbers. So if, if you would, I want to uh, go ahead and do the do the top five rankings. Okay, let's go. E W you know. All right. Just kind of going through <laughs> it quickly. Uh, our end of hunt teams are Albany State. Oops. Oops, you weren't supposed to see that slide yet. That's all right, man. Albany State, uh, Miles, Lane, Jarvis Christian, and Winston Salem. Uh, number five team coming in 36 and 17, 15 and 12 is, is still, is still a member of the Southern States. Athletic Conference. They are the only NAIA team represented in our top five. Our number four team, who you, who you said you beat, was Claflin, 32 and 12, 18 and 4, 52 points. The number three team is the team who you defeated in the championship uh, game, who was previously our number two team. That being, for disclosure, Tuskegee alone. Uh, the Tuskegee Golden Tigers, 25 and 19, they're 18 and 6. Uh, Bowie State, 35-14, and 18-3. And, and the reason that we are going to crown you while you are here today, because we ran the numbers. There is no way Bowie State or Tuskegee, who are number two and our number three teams, will be able to mathematically catch you with our formula. So we figured while you were here, we go ahead and uh, crown you. Oh. <laughs> Emma Watts, the only 40-win softball team in, H in HBCU land. Let's go, and, man. And also the only team with, when you add in the regular season plus their tournament, 20 conference wins with a total of 23-3. and three. That 23-3 rep represents your regular season and your 4-0 in, in, in conference. Yes, sir. So without further ado. Let's go, man. Let's go. That's so, what But hey, the only thing I want you to change now, going to next year, we need to change that EWU, not EWC. You got the old. That's the, that's the old logo. That's the old logo. Yeah, that's man. The old logo. That's, now you're talking about one thing that Doctor Rich and Doctor Faison always say: make sure you get that change anytime that pops up. So they, yeah, look, we 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 division two now, baby. We ain't we ain't NAIA. We're division two, so we got to have that university tag. There you go. There you go. Well, when it goes out officially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and everything else, I'll make sure that I switch the logo out for you. I appreciate that. I know that uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Rich and, and Prez will, will definitely like that. And I also want to say shout out to uh, your sports information director, uh, Joshua Jackson, yeah. for us. Joshua's interview. He, uh, he and I have been texting back and forth for the last couple of days. Uh, pulling everything up and just to let you know how new uh coach ellison is to this position he doesn't he doesn't even have a bio on the website yet uh, <laughs> no, no offense to josh because i because i've done it i know how hard it is sometimes because you're in the too, season just to get him the information because you're concentrating on wins and losses and then to get the information yeah. so uh, i want to thank josh for giving me your bio information uh yeah. this afternoon yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, he Josh is a one-man wrecking crew, man. He does it all. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, the champ is here. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate it.
any, any last rings. words, Coach? Let's get some rings, baby. <laughs> hey, God bless you guys for doing this, man. I absolutely, um, you know, it's it's an honor and it's a privilege to be on your show. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be at the, at the university that I'm at, at Everwaters. And uh, I'm looking forward to a, a great future for these girls, a great future for Everwaters softball and athletic program as a whole. All, all right, now. Well, with that, we're going to take a, a break right here on the BCSN Sports Wrap. Coming back after the break, I believe we're going to have Dr. Kenyatta Cavill and Mo Carter. We're going to come in. We're going to get into a good roundtable discussion along with Kelvin Carter and myself. Coach, Coach uh, Ellison, thank you. Uh, love you guys out there in Duval. Thank you so much. We appreciate you, brother. All right, then. You're watching the, the BCSN Sports Wrap. Kelvin sitting in for, for Brian. Zadie, we'll be right back. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay, call Cuvay. This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard, as well as the upcoming week of HBCU sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. From novice to aficionado, find yourself here. High quality cigars plus personal customer service. Slowburn is Waco's only mobile cigar lounge, featuring a meticulous curated collection of premium cigars. Visit our website, www.slowburnwaco.com. That's www. SlowBurnWaco.com. Just had the champ. Now the doc is here. The good doctor, Doctor Kenyatta Cavill, joining Man, uh, it's Kelvin be Carter. Kelvin. Joining Kelvin Carter and AD Drew here on the BCSN Sports Wrap. Mo Carter should be joining us in just a few moments. Before we get into this uh, roundtable discussion, 
want to give a few shout outs to uh, to some people. Uh, Walter Harley joined us here. Tamara T. Hello, Jeremiah Clark. Brian on the road heading back to Orlando after calling a great championship game there today where Spring Hill defeated Savannah State in the SIAC championship game. I see Edwards here. Chuck Hunt always here, Dr. Kavir. Chuck Hunt is always there. Always David Garner. Right. Shout out to Chuck Hunt. Yeah. Dave, David Garner is uh, in the house. Who else do we have here? Uh, Edwin Moore. Appreciate you, Edwin Moore. Tabert says, congratulations, E-Dub. Uh, Ever Moore says, congratulations to the uh, coach of Ever Waters. Here, here you go, Doc. Here's the comment of the day. Must be an Ever Waters play. Ring me. <laughs> Ring me. Shout out to HBCU Band Talk also for uh, for joining us here on the BCSN Sports Wrap. Fellas, got a lot Got a lot going on. Got a lot of baseball and softball going on this uh, over the next over the next couple of weeks. Looks like uh, SWAC softball is now set after today's uh, set of games. I'll, I'm going to pull that up in just a moment uh, so we can talk about the uh, the SWAC softball pairings. Uh, also, CIAA crowned the champ. Bowie State had to go to the if game. But Bowie State defeated Claflin in the if game today to be crowned as the CIAA softball champions. Uh, Doctor Cavill, I, I know you. Uh, I know you were there watching because you were texting me while we watched it. Just any comments on the Division Two uh, softball tournaments uh, over the weekend? Uh, it's a lot of great action. I mean, those women fought hard in terms of what they were able to do. Uh, the top teams rose to the top, cream rises to the top, and they showed out in terms of the tournament. So you had classic matchups with the best teams involved in terms of what took place in those tournaments. And ultimately, you got to give shout out to the Bowie State Bulldogs, CIAA getting it done, uh, and then Ever Waters University uh, in terms of the Tigers getting it done. Great interview with the coach there. And imagine Edward Waters, what they had to do uh, to stay within the moment, stay distant, stay focused, uh, has to be something that we acknowledge in terms of those changeovers that took place and not allow it to deter them from their ultimate goal, which was being champions of the SIC. And then you add on the fact that they were moving uh, from NAIA to the NCAA Division II as a member of the SIC to do that in your first year, similar to what we've seen in a lot of ways with Dillard starting up their baseball program on the baseball side, that's significant feats to have teams be able to get it done. So kudos to all those champions that are out there. Yeah. And, and speaking of Everwaters in transition from NAIA to Division Two, brings up the first uh, – topic that I wanted to get into in this round table. And that is the fact that, and everybody may not be aware of this, Ever Waters will not be the SIAC representative for the Division II tournament. The representative will be 
the runner-up, which were the Tuskegee Golden Tigers. So with that, they are not allowed to compete because they are not full members of Division II, even though they are a full member of the SIAC Conference at this point. So my question to you fellas is, should a team who cannot go on to represent you in the national tournament or whatever level you are, compete in your conference tournament? And let's be real, everybody. No one, when they, when Ever Waters entered, expected Ever Waters to be in this position this fast. I don't even think Ever Waters expected themselves to be in this position this fast. So congratulations to them for getting themselves into this, this position and creating a little bit of controversy. Uh, I don't know which one of you gentlemen want to tackle that question first. I'll jump in there. It seems like Kevin wants to pause and be a gentleman and allow me to do my thing. So I appreciate <laughs> that, brother. Uh, with that being said, <laughs> uh, first, let me give a little bit of a history. You know, I always like to share the historical perspectives of this. We've seen this, and I think one of the first programs that did this, oddly enough, was the HBCU conference, which was the SWAC. Uh, and it was based on APR components versus transitioning up from Division Two to Division One FCS would be the case in that scenario. Um, and there were some questions uh, of whether the APR team should be in the tournament. Well, the presidents pushed and asked questions and said, well, how is this going to affect us financially? And for the SWAC, uh, a lot of people were concerned that if you don't have teams in there, obviously, how that affect the tournament financially. And it wasn't so much in terms of attendance like people would, might think, but it was about the contract that was signed with the city that required a number of teams to be uh, in quote unquote hotels, right? Spending dollars, or they may have uh, kind of reneged on the contract in some, some ways. So they went back and kind of pushed the issue. And where it became really a old school type question is at one time, if your team that wasn't eligible or teams that were eligible didn't win the tournament and a non-eligible team won it, you would lose your bid. And that made it pretty much easy in regards to being like, particularly at the Division One level, because you have a lot of financial stake, you know, millions of dollars for making that decision. So you wouldn't see it, right? Well, they changed the rule. And the rule said the school could actually – uh, not only select whether they're going to do the regular season or the postseason, which a lot of schools done, and obviously the last one to do that was the Ivy League because they didn't have a tournament up to four or five years ago. Uh, and they would just send the regular season. And so at that point, they said, well, you can determine whether you're going to send your regular season or your tournament check. They updated the rule and said, well, the – conference can designate a guideline in terms of whoever they're going to select to participate in the tournament. And what that ultimately did for the SWAC is they said if a team that won the tournament that was not eligible, the next team that was eligible would actually go in their place. Which is similar to the runner-up. Yeah, the runner-up. And similar to what you see in this case. Um, you had this on the Division One level a couple of years ago where a team won the Atlantic Sun Binghamton or something like that, 
they were just moving up for Division Two, so they weren't eligible, just like you seeing going from NIA Division Two similarly. And so the runner-up made the tournament. You actually saw that this this year when Texas Southern played that ultimately went uh, uh, deep and had the upset of the number 16 seed. Uh, they actually did not win the tournament. The team that won the tournament was not eligible, so they went in the place because they would have run her up. So, no, I don't have a problem with it uh, because of the rule change. I know why it could be uh, controversial because not too long ago you would basically give up your bid. And so at the Division One level, it's not a problem for me. I know at the Division Two level, rules are slightly different. But, no, I don't have a problem with it because of all this. Kelvin, uh, want you to dive in on that. And if you would, Kelvin – Kind of take a little bit more of a fan's perspective, you know, because a lot of fans uh, are chattering about Emma Waters shouldn't have even been there. So if you were Kelvin, go ahead. Yeah, well, I just think that the average fan really doesn't understand the mechanics of why you have to wait a year anyway. So, like, when you make those transitions, uh, I think that's similar to what we got going on here in St. Louis with uh, Lindenwood's basketball team going from uh, Division Two up to uh, Division or FCS or Division One AA, but it's Division One basketball. And they played well in the, in the OVC tournament. However, all parties know that it'll be X number of years before they can compete. And I think, if in a fan's opinion, I would think that it was giving the team an opportunity to grow their rosters, get prepared for this, maybe upgrade facilities. But in Lindenwood's case, they came to the table with all those things already intact. And now they have to just sit in that in that space with the rules of when you can compete if you win a championship. So it gives you time to build a roster, see if you're going to keep coaches. So, but your average fan has no idea about how the decision was made. You know, if I had to look into it deeply, it may be that we have this format laid out with based on these teams, and you made your application to go, and everybody understands it. I don't hear too much pushback from those that are involved because that window of time, which is either a year or two years gives you an opportunity to get your, you know, your footing together for that. And hence the reason why I don't think with our, with our football programs, making some of those jumps is, is just something that's talked about often. I think, you know, you dominate where you are and then you look at Edward Waters, assume they made the jump and they dominated, but it's their opportunity, you know, they do it two years in a row. Yeah, you had a similar framework. From a fan's perspective, I guess I can see it, but, you know, fans are short for fanatics, so it doesn't mean that it has to make sense, as Kelvin is alluding to. They don't have all the information, and I I, I think they, uh, many of those same fans were excited about Edward Waters coming to the conference, but what kind of relationship are you setting up for a new conference member if you're not being best stewards in terms of sharing? It's like inviting guests to your house and saying they can't have a drink of water now you might not allow them to get the glass and you probably be polite to go get the glass but it's like you know you invite me over to your house and you bring out all uh, food pizza but you're not gonna share any pizza with me i mean i just i don't i don't get that framework you know part of being in the conference being a good steward yes you want to beat folks but if they happen to have a team and they beat you uh live with it let's spend some more money and support our teams to get them better or you know, if you need to, you know, make tough changes, tough calls and changes with your coaching to get better. But to cry, to try to win it because uh, 
a technicality to me just sounds like fans that want to win at all costs and they're just making excuses to the fact that you know they want to be able to get it done versus getting it done on the field or on you know on the playing surface the you know the court whatever it may be in the sport this was similar to uh howard when they joined the swack in women's soccer a couple of years ago uh, they were not eligible the first year to win the tournament because it was just a transition thing. And they won the tournament but couldn't go, so Prairie View went in their place. Next year, they won the tournament, and they went again. Following year, Prairie View finally got tired of getting their butts kicked, and they won the tournament outright. <laughs> and get it done. So, yeah, I get it as a fan. But at the end of the day, come on, fan. Let's, you know, I, let's not be fanatics. Let's be fantastic. All right. Next question I got for you, you, you fellas, is it's tournament time. I'm looking at the format of some of our tournaments that we have. I want to start off with I'm gonna start off with the CIAA softball because we know they don't play baseball anymore. The CIAA softball regular season and postseason. In the regular season, outside of a crossover. Everything is division. But when it come when they come to the tournament, they don't take four from the south and four from the north. They take the best eight, the top eight records. This year, when you look at the tournament field, it was five and three in favor of the south. Five southern teams, three northern teams in the tournament. Is that the best representation of the CIAA? Yes, I know that those are the best teams record-wise, but all records aren't equal because everybody did not play the same comp- the same level of competition. So just, just give me you guys' thoughts on that format there in the CIAA where they just – Irregardless of record, even though everybody didn't play everybody, and we're not talking about because of rainouts and things like that. We're just talking about how the schedule came from the conference office. Just kind of talk about your feelings on that. I'm gonna start with Kelvin on this one. Um, well, seemingly to me, if if, if that's the case, uh, we made the argument in basketball when we talk about um, probably uh, NCAA, not the NCAA, the NBA playoffs. Maybe they should go back, reshuffle, and go one through sixteen, regardless of whatever and put together this playoff that would make a lot more sense. It would probably balance out. But looking at this scenario, one of two things are quite obvious. Either A, the conference itself, if they want to go with a single-line ranking, then the schedule has to be reflective of it. However, when you look at the scheduling, the scheduling is probably based around proximity, travel budgets, and all these things exactly. that go into play. So it would probably be more – it would be fair – in the divisional top four because you don't have the alignment or, or crossover uh, per se in the way that the schedules are breaking out. So that, I think that would be something I think if the ADs were to really look at it from a conference perspective and look at conference leadership and just in all fairness, just lay it out. I think it can be plainly seen, but obviously there must be a reasoning or rationale behind this way of ranking. I understand the rationale, but with the way the schedule is set up, it doesn't really support it. Go ahead, Doc. I, I like the way Kelvin broke it down. I think this is a question that can be debated a little more. 
Uh, but let me put this out there that I know people may or may not want to hear. There's no perfect system. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> There's no perfect system. And whatever system you know, if somebody is going to be upset and feel slighted. Uh, and so with that being said, I do still think there's some arguments about, you know, whether you're going to take four and four, um, even with the scheduling problem uh, that you have that everybody doesn't play everybody. But I think most of the time when you put it together, uh, the, the best teams are going to find a way to play near the end of the tournament. And you get some teams every once in a while that gets hot, but that's kind of why you would want all the teams in there because that's why you follow early to see if there happens to be upset. That's what gets your fandom going in regards to cheering for it. So in that format, I, I think it would be good if there was an explanation of why you're taking the top eight teams in terms of records versus uh, just taking the top four versus the other one. And I would like to hear that explanation of how it's set up that way. But I don't have major heartburn on either format. I just need to know so I'll be familiar, particularly from a media's perspective, so I'm giving out accurate information when I'm describing this. So I think that is one side that I would like to see is that there's more communique coming out from the conference themselves about this is our scheduling format, this is what the AD's president voted for, and this is basically why they did it. You know, I think some of that information would just be good in terms of providing information to fans as well as the media so they would get inf accurate information out. Yeah, and keep in mind, it's like Dr. Kavir just said, the athletic directors and or the president voted for this format. All the commissioner's office does is, all right, this is how you do it. We'll put the schedule together for you based on how you do it, or we're going to run the tournament based upon how you guys voted. All we're doing is carrying out your wishes. Before I bring in, before I ask the, this next question, we're going to bring in another person to our roundtable. And joining us from WZDX, person who I saw a lot of this past week uh, calling some of those SIAC softball games, is our brother Bo Carter. He's, he will be, as soon as he turns his camera on, he'll be joining us here on this conversation. So the next question that I have, we're staying with these tournaments and these tournament formats on these questions. Baseball. And this particularly was more baseball than softball with this. SIAC and SWAC baseball have an 18 baseball tournament. You see a lot of conferences go with a 12-team tournament. I mean, excuse me, a 16 tournament instead of an 18 tournament. Even the bigger guys like the SEC will go with 12 instead of all 16 teams. Why do they go with this instead of the perfect round numbers like we like to see in tournaments, four, eight, 16, things like that? Because that allows buys for your better teams, your top-seeded teams. In theory, you have a better chance of getting your better team to – the postseason. Also, it's a reward for those teams and their hard work throughout the season 
by them not having to spend that extra pitching by playing that extra game. So I'll, I'll throw this out there. Should we, in both the SWAC and the SIAC, consider a six-team six tournament, which would allow, in the SWAC, that would allow the East champ and the West champ to have a first-round bye, and in the SIAC, your top two seeds to have a first-round bye and give them possibly better pitching matchups. Who wants to tackle that? Um, so I, a, a little perspective on this, and I always try to follow the money. If we're being very honest about it, I believe that some of those groups that when they put a bigger tournament out also understand that they have enough good product to go ahead and produce some, from a revenue perspective. So if you look at softball, baseball, these things that we have, if we haven't figured out a way to incub to do an economic incubator with this, it's almost as if we need to really look at this and say, is it worth giving someone a buy or just go with six teams instead of eight or a fewer amount of teams? Because as you go with fewer teams, it gets you there faster anyway. And so from an economic perspective, I love to see some of the numbers like from the SWAC um, or from the, you know, some of the other conferences on, is there any money made or is this all an outlay of capital uh, to actually produce these tournaments? And how does it fall into the economic structure of these conferences? So from an economic standpoint, you, it, yes, you got somebody that could get hot, but if you, I think if you actually looked at the swag top to bottom, there are years when it might be eight to eight deep. But if you really, uh, I think if you go back into the, um, the depths schedules champions, I, I just I wonder how often you would find it. One of the top six teams did not, you know, win their tournament and advance on to the next uh, round. Dr. Bill. I, I appreciate what Kelvin said in terms of, again, really understanding the information behind the rationale for the decision and understanding the data to say whether this is even relevant in terms of the concern people may have in terms of what the data speaks for. One of the things that I've always had this, because we've had, uh, I think, even more concern about this during basketball tournaments over the years. Uh, people wanting a regular season champion versus the um, tournament champion because of upsets and sending your best team forward for the tournament, You've, particularly at the Division One level. Uh, and at one time, I was kind of supportive of that, that, yeah, it makes sense to send your best team, so let's just do the, the, the regular season champion. But as I started understanding more of the economic uh, analysis that was taking place, one of the reasons for the tournament is for the economic benefit to the company. And your teams can't get better if they don't have the economic financial means to get better. And the tournament has that opportunity to do that terms of bidding for that and then in addition to that the question becomes i heard administrator talk about this that was fascinating when i first heard it because i didn't think about it i'll be honest this is like we don't necessarily give our college athletes a great deal you know obviously beyond the scholarships they do get that they earn that uh but oftentimes the tournament is a celebration for them it, it is part of uh, a reward to participate as a conference. 
And at one time, you got to remember, they used to even have awards, banquets, and, you know, and things like that coming to tournaments. A lot of tournaments yeah. kind of, some have canceled that and some continue to do it. I know so when I was in the SIC, we had those. Like, what are the really the goals? And I always like to hear this question. What are the goals of the presidents and commissioners of the conference? Is it purely about generating money? Is it purely about competitive balance for the conference? Is it purely about celebrating your college athletes? Because once you get that information, it kind of helps us make a decision. So if it's just purely about money, then that's what's going to drive your decisions. That, hey, we get on television when we do a postseason. We have more tickets we can sell. We can sell our sponsors because now we have more inventory for the conference to sell and ask the sponsors for more money, which will therefore generate more money. If it's more about uh, competitive balance, then you're simply looking about how do I send our best team to the tournament so they can represent us and how that looks. And that's going to determine, it makes it an easier way to answer your question in regards to, all right, this is what we're going to do and this is probably why. The third one is, is like, hey, we want to celebrate our athletes. And one way we can do that is get as many teams as possible to participate in the tournament. And we allow whatever to take place to take place because we're celebrating our college athletes to give them the opportunity to have postseason because most of them over their four-year period are not going to have postseason opportunities because every year only one team wins the tournament. So if you take away the regular season and the postseason – that means you're limiting the ability of your college athletes to have a postseason experience. You notice many times you see in these tournaments, they had went for a while where they were trying to go to professional stadiums uh, or professional arenas or these new arenas so they could really give these college athletes opportunity to go beyond what they would get traditionally during the season in terms of their home field to give them an idea of what postseason participation is. So again, I think it really boils down to what the chances of the presence and byproduct by that is the commissioner. What are we trying to achieve? What are our strategic goals and plans? That helps us with our answer to that question. I know that's a long way to go around the framework, but I think it's important for us to really start understanding what are our goals and strategic plans and it speaks to oftentimes why decisions are made and again maybe we can just do a better job of communicating well i think too i'll interject back ad on this i think what they did at the beginning of the season um when alcorn went and played wichita state gramlin went out and played colorado i think those things that are have been put in place to add more to the experience because that's that's a game you wouldn't get unless you won your conference tournament or you became the you know one of the outright conference championship also the automatic bid of the regular season winner to the uh nit is a big deal so i think when you kind of like you said they're not communicating this because in theory i wonder how much traction you would gain if you had a SWAC versus the American Conference, the same way they have a Big Ten, Big 12 challenge and see how maybe some, some group that has like a the competition level would vary enough to give our fans something, especially in those regions where they could get to those games. But that is a piece that you have to think about. What, are we, what do we desire to give with the overall experience? 
versus the economic piece. Because you know we get two bids. We now we get the NCAA bid, we get the NIT bid, and I think that that's a big one in itself that that was an automatic bid piece out of that for the NIT, which I didn't really realize that it just came into place. Yeah. All right. Uh, joining us now here on the roundtable is Bo Carter. Bo, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the question, but the discussion is revolving around terms, especially and we're focusing in on baseball and softball right now. Uh, primarily baseball, reducing the tournament from an 18 tournament to a 16 tournament, which would allow your top two seeds as a reward for their uh, play through the regular season to earn a first round buy. Obviously, we know the benefits of that buy in baseball where you get it saves on your pitching. There's one less game. You you can better set your pitching matchups to – for that championship game, Lord forbid you fall into the elimination bracket. That's where all this conversation started, Bo. So your opinions on any on that? Well, I've got to agree with uh, Dr. Cavilla just about the strategies that go into place that are made by the presidents and athletic directors because, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, they're the ones that are making the decisions as far as what's going to happen with the student athletes. And also they're going to make the decisions what's going to happen with the, um, you know, with, I guess, on behalf of the coaches and whatnot. I mean, I like the idea of having the buy, um, you know, in, in the early stages, you know, to help save on pitching and whatnot. But I really think you can't really have one of those universal ideas for everyone. Like what works here just won't work, you know, there. Um, I don't want to hop up to the big boys, but I'm going to go ahead and use the SEC, for example. Uh, I remember when the SEC tournament was a single elimination um, uh, tourney, tourney, and this was like before the addition of Texas A&M and uh, Missouri. And, you know, every once in a while you get a low seed that literally would make a run. I think there was a year LSU won in, I think, 2010 or 11, and they were like the, the, the maybe the 10 or the 9 seed or something. You know, and it was just kind of crazy, but he just got hot when they did. But I know, like, right now, what they do is they kind of alternate some things. So, like, if you're a top four seed, you get, like, multiple buys. And then if you're, like, a first round, which were, like, you know, your lowest four teams, um, that first day is single elimination. And if you win, you advance to the next day. And then that begins double elimination. Then you have, uh, you know, winner's bracket, loser's bracket. And then by the time you get to Saturday, you're back to single elimination and then they're crowned a champion on Sunday. I mean, that's what's worked for them for almost a decade now. But clearly that's not going to work for each and every one because clearly, for instance, the SWAG and the SIAC, they don't invite just about everybody to the tournament. They, they just don't or whatever from there. So clearly I think it's just more so like, you know, what's the mindset? And then also I think about this too. We've noticed how these tournaments have moved from different locations um, you know, through the years, especially on the HBCU level, I do have to wonder, like, okay, are these locations kind of banking on, all right, we only want the tournament for this day, this day, this day, and this day. If we go beyond this day or whatever, then, you know, we kind of not so much breach a contract, but we have to maybe renegotiate something in this sense or whatever. So I do kind of wonder how that, you know, stands. Now, granted, if you have weather or any type of other whatever delays, I can totally understand how that goes for it but you know clearly i think the overall picture of it though is i think if you have like those complaints about whatever i think the coaches need to speak up to their president ad's for them 
to turn around and make those changes or make those decisions at the end of the day to express the voice on it. And, but in the meantime, you got what's in play and nobody's saying anything. Then you just have to just go ahead and just play the ball game and to the best, you know, gets the championship. So I like, maybe I like actually, to maybe. add into what Mo oh. said in terms of that format, just so people are educated about the process. Uh, and he's absolutely right. People need to voice their opinions in terms of all those involved. And that's usually what happens when there's changes. Uh, I actually, as a consultant with a coach, actually wrote a change that they wanted. And they were fighting for this change. And I'll even let it out a little bit. Um, people may have remember when we used to play the two back-to-back uh, -back seven inning games on Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, or, and you play yeah. one on Sunday. Yeah, right. Baseball, oh, if you remember, that was pretty much what was the process. Well, you saw a lot of the um, more well-funded programs or certainly the uh, uh, Power All Five the conference that some people like to see it really in the NCAA calls the Autonomy Five. And Joshua Sims doesn't like to use the P5, so I you know, kind of cut it out of my vocabulary. But just so people have heard it before, I, I give that framework. But they were playing the Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and sometimes they even started doing a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That was for television purposes, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday format. I won't be surprised if they moved to a Saturday, Sunday, Monday to try to get more windows for television, how big it plays to the table as things move forward, particularly with the expansion of Oklahoma, Texas. But it's enough about them. The SWAT wanted to move to a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They were fighting for it and pushed it, and they always got it shot down either by the ADs, and I think one time they got it finally approved by the ADs and the president's chancellors basically shot it down. The, the, as you said earlier, AD, uh, the commissioner's office said, we're fine. Whatever y'all like to do, you tell us and we'll make it happen, create the schedules and flux it out, however y'all want to work it. Well, one of the coaches, a couple of coaches came to me and I said, well, one of the things is you need to take talk the language of the president um, if you're making this square. So I said, will this, will this reduce um, injuries? Because in my head, I thought, well, you know, that might be an injury problem playing 270. They said, definitely. Can you show some data to kind of support that? Well, they put that together. I helped, wrote it up. And I said, one of the proposals is to move from a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because we believe it will reduce injuries. Here's some results that suggest that it would, because we're taxing our pitchers playing seven inning games and the ball players playing two straight seven inning games. So that there may be some up costs in terms of hotels, but you're going to get that money back because you're reducing your injuries that cost us a lot of money in terms of your medical uh, payouts, right? I said, another question, uh, will this help get them back in time where you have them in class earlier? Will this help with your APR? There's a way that this setup will help APR. They said, I believe it will. And a couple of coaches looked at it and said, yeah. Because now we can make students get out. They have more time when they're there to study. We have study sessions for them in the lab. So we wrote it up. Guess what happens when you speak the language of the ADs, the presidents, in terms of things that make sense? They supported it. Currently, you see uh, the format is playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I give all that to example. As most said, is that you got to understand everybody's framework and you get a voice. Well, how things are updated in the conferences. It goes from the coaches. The coaches have goals that they want to achieve. So sometimes they'll have a proposal. They'll put it on the table where it goes to the SWAs, senior women administrators, particularly as a women's sport. 
It goes to the ADs, VPs of athletics. They ratify it and either support it or deny it. Then it goes up to the chancellors and then they vote on it. So a lot of people have say in regards to this process of the conference in terms of the governing structure of how they like to see the tournaments. That's why you see different sports with different tournament formats because different coaches, different financial sets up, setups, I should say, uh, are in play in regards to how it goes. So it goes through that process. And AD Drew, Drew, being a coach, you're familiar with that, that you have say, or you did have say, to somewhat in terms of what you'd like to see with the conference. At least you got to, yeah, especially as assistant, it gets smaller and smaller. (laughs) But the point is that there are saves. But the bigger thing is, is you got to know how you're making your recommendation and your ads in such a way that it plays to the guys that are, are women that are making decisions. And a lot of times we forget that. We just like to do what we want to do because it makes us feel good. <laughs> right. Right. So so let, let me ask this to follow up and, and we're going to uh, get this out before and take this to break. You talked about those injuries and those other things, uh, Dr. Cavill and some of those reasons for expanding things. What about the expansion of the tournament? Uh, I'll think about this SIAC tournament where I just uh, came from and Bo was there with me also. You know, doubleheaders, back multiple doubleheaders. Savannah State, who was in the championship game today, six games in four days. If they, if they, if they were going to win the tournament, that would have meant seven games in four days. For those who can't do the bad, that would have meant three double heads. At no time during the season do you play back to back to back double heads. So if we're not going to reduce the field of the tournament to get that back, can we extend the tournament out over more days? to reduce injuries and uh, help help with other things because let's be real. Most athletes on a doubleheader day aren't going to get too much studying done. <laughs> on, a, on a day when you just have a single game, yes, you've you got your routine. You're spending your four, four, your four, five, six hours with baseball. But you can go back to the hotel, shower, and then still have, and still have plenty of time for uh, meals and study hall. So do we look at, and even with the SWAC tournament, do we look at expanding the tournament out, adding another day or two? Yes, we know it costs more money, but are we really thinking about the stoop athlete and the, and the physical toll that multiple doubleheaders would have to take, especially if we wind up in the elimination bracket? Anybody? Well, I think you got to follow this backwards, though. Um, K-12 educator in me says it's backwards by design, so if we are at this point and we're having this conversation and this is just my opinion or thoughts around it from what I do know, we'd have to go back to see how it's funded and somebody's working off of a budget somewhere and they're attempting to get something done that they really, um, they, they know it would probably be better to not have three double headers. Although I do go and watch the Cardinals play, which is a professional team and they play double headers on Saturdays you know, with some type of scheduling glitch, but just in a, in a vacuum, I think this is so financially driven 
that Dr. Cavill's point around what type of experience are we trying to provide? I think they're trying to get it in with the least amount of outlay of capital because I've been to a HBCU baseball game, a SWAT game. I can't figure out why this isn't just a total money drain because we didn't pay for anything. <laughs> we didn't. We I went to Jackson State baseball game. I went to a game at, at Alcorn. There was no revenue generator at the game. I bet they didn't even offset the cost of the baseball <laughs> or, or, or they paid for the officials. Maybe. But it's a complete capital outlay. And I think baseball in the swag is a comment in here that, that's actually really, really true. It says, you know, we want we must really find out if we want to play competitive baseball or just have, you know, like this intrastate type of team system. And that and that's and that's and that's a very uh valid question from uh from the comment. Well, I can answer that. Uh, competitive as defined by who? Um, if you're talking about just competitive and playing again, the autonomous five, I think that's one thing. You're never going to have a competitive system against them. They're too far ahead in terms of the financial money they're making. So then the question is, is the, when we did the research, you want a division one or division two. I think sometimes people forget that there's a benefit cost analysis as well. It may be more benefit to be in division one. And, and your conference allegiance and participating there than it is to just look at it in terms of pure competition. Um, so, again, I think we have to really get an understanding of what is your desire. Because some of the same people that are talking about whether we want to be competitive don't donate a dime to their program. <laughs> don't, di- don't donate a dime to BCSN in regards to wanting us to do all this talk. And I love them and support them. But some of us just talk with our mouths and not with our wallets in terms of financial, what we want to really do, the support uh, of the system. And the other part of me is like, I'm not supportive of just purely chasing whiteness uh, as a privilege or, or a goal. I think the reason you pay sports is for the competition that is involved. And the conference is set up uh, to have as much light programs together to create your competition. I know one thing, when I saw Edward Waters win that championship, everybody involved with that on that championship team felt very excited. And for me, it was a beautiful thing to see. And so I don't know if you're saying get rid of that because your whole goal is if we can't chase the whiteness and be equal or uh, competitive in terms of our non-conference game then why are we doing what we're doing? To me, at some point, that's just dangerous to always be looking at the glaze in the mirror and versus being receptive of what you have and be excited and supportive of what you have and to be in the best of what you have. We have some folks that come from some very economic um, trodden situations. And I know a lot of people have made it out of that situation because their parents didn't always talk to their kids about looking about what somebody else had, but they told folks to be grateful for what they had and appreciate it and work supportive in understanding the value of what you have. I think sometimes we chase the value of what everybody else has versus the value of what we have in truth and support well, and celebrate that. 
So that that's the only pushback I have on that. And I know the bigger picture of that, but I wanted us to at least consider a different perspective before we always act like everything we do is out there. But I do agree with Kelvin on this, is that we do need to find spaces where we can find ways to generate revenue. Well, like Southern. Southern does an excellent job in terms of their baseball program. They charge at the gate. But they started that process a while back about making sure that they had the money to put the gate out there. Um, <laughs> they were saying so they could charge. Right. I mean, Houston, uh, Texas Southern, they just financially get to the point where it looks like they don't get a ballpark uh, put up for them. But you got to remember, they played in the city park. You can't charge the city park. <laughs> yeah. Well, down here, hold that thought, Kevin. Let that vote get easy. It's not necessarily equal. You know, are you selling your program? So I do agree that there are ways to generate money. Are you putting signs in the outfield in terms of your sponsors and things like that? But I do want us to be broader in terms of understanding the challenge because every time we say we can do this, we forget it usually costs money to do that. And if you don't have the money from the first step, which is coming from us to give the investment to help our programs do what is necessarily to generate revenue. We're just talking in circles. Go ahead, go ahead, Mo. Then we're gonna come back to you, Kevin. Sure thing, AD. So you know, Dr. Cavill once again just dropping the dimes of knowledge. Um, the only thing I'm gonna go ahead and just kind of add to that. It's more so when you kind of look at program to program to program and also conference to conference to conference. Not only is the outlook of those conferences similar, but lots of times it's different. And then the programs within those conferences, excuse me, um, you know, will, will be the same. Sure, you have all these teams in the SWAC. You have all these teams in the MEAC, SIAC, CIAA. But the inner workings of those teams are just much different. Like Dr. Cavill said, I mean, you know, I'm a Southern University alumnus. I remember Coach Roger Kadar when I was a kid, the way he was leading that program, and then when I was an undergrad, basically the same thing. But I guarantee you, some of the things that got, uh, that Coach Cater you know, was doing in Baton Rouge, it probably was a little difficult for some other coaches within the conference to kind of do that or whatever, or move their program forward in the ways uh, that he did. And I'm pretty sure that that's the same story in you know other places here, there, and everywhere. But you know, if you want to kind of get on one accord. As a conference, I feel like schools have to kind of get on one accord to be like, okay, well, look, you know, if such and such is doing this and such and such is doing that, well, maybe we may need to try this or maybe we may need to try that or whatever to kind of just help from the inner workings of things before you kind of look at the overall outlook of a whole lot of stuff. And then, of course, from a conference standpoint, clearly there are always things that they want to seek improvement on or whatever, whether it's overall play or marketing of things. As AD mentioned, like this past week, I was in Albany with them for the softball tournament and day one of the baseball tournament. Thankfully, Albany State's baseball team, you know, you're, you're playing in their home territory, their home city or whatever. So, so you know, you go to good crowds whatever for them. For softball, I'll be honest with you, yeah, like I knew some people knew and there were some folks that made, made the trips, but they're also, I felt, was kind of maybe a lack from the marketing side and whatnot because felt like, you know, you could have had some more people down there in, in Albany just, you know, just when I kind of just go back and look look into that. But clearly that's a, probably another conversation for another day. But my main topic I was kind of saying is that 
everybody talks about the looks of this and the workings of that, but there's a lot more inner workings for programs that have to kind of analyze, I mean, analyze each other to kind of gauge what things are going to be for one to be successful for another. Go ahead, Kelvin. Jeremiah well, Poe, he's going to tell me what not to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, I mean, it's, you can start your it's, own show. It's all relevant, I believe, because I follow uh, Alcorn Baseball, Jackson State Baseball, being there in town, and also being around the Jackson area, you get a chance to see a couple of other small schools that, that, that play at the old Smith Wheel Stadium. And one of the things that's really interesting is it's good baseball in conference. Like, I can go to a swag game, man, sit back, get some sunflower seeds, get a beer or whatever. It's some pretty good baseball. Um, but if you don't know baseball, you probably wouldn't know the best baseball teams in, in most states are JUCO baseball teams because they're loaded with guys who just need to make one step to go somewhere. We're getting guys that, yes, they need some development. And like Alcorn – about probably about eight years ago, really got pretty good and made it and challenged Cal in the NCAA tournament. And Jackson State is you can go into the record books on this. They 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 put out pros. If you just go like the oil can board, you got Kurt Ford with the St. Louis Cardinals. They you you got some you got some talent that just came out in his sprinklings of it. And that was not to the, take away from the competitive nature in our box. But one thing that Mo said that I think is very, very true. If we wanted to do a really good project with our marketing kids or our busy kids in our schools, take take whatever the energies around marketing and place it around that softball and that baseball component and drive it in a way. Maybe we, we plan alumni events and weekends around baseball because it's outside and it's free air and you can cook and barbecue and do all the things that you normally do. And that, that, those are the things that I'd like to see. You know, I know we have a, Alcorn has a collective now. And I think Prairie View has one, and we're really being aggressive. And I'll tell you what, the 1871 Collective in Alcorn is that we picked a softball player, a football player, and a baseball player as some of our lead faces. And that's what we intentionally did to drive, you know, that type of support around that. And we have alumni who continually, you know, invite you out to Vicksburg to watch the tennis team. And, arrive. and I think some people have inherent advantages that they don't take advantage of. So I would really love to see how Texas Southern baseball attendance and Jackson State's attendance look because you're in Houston and you're in Jackson, Mississippi, and you're just not out in an area like a Lorman, Mississippi. Yeah, uh, in the park, the uh, Grambling Southern rivalry games in Prairie View are always well attended. Yeah. All right. With that, let's, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Mo, I got a couple questions for you on this uh, on the Magic City Classic. If you if you don't mind, talk talk a little bit about this uh, con the contract and everything with the Magic City Classic. You're up there, you, you're covering it, so definitely got a lot of people with some uh, questions about the Magic City Classic. So we're gonna we're gonna talk up some Magic City Classic, and then we're gonna pick up this show and get out of here. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. Kelvin there for Brian, Dr. Cavill, Mo Carter. We'll be right back. I was going to talk Supermarket about Supermarket sushi, really? No. Wait, Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. <laughs> never not working. Never not working. 
Never ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Standard protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. This is Ryan Fulford. A.D. Drew and I are co-hosts of the BCSN Sports Wrap. We talk about all things related to HBCU athletics. From the games, teams, coaches, and fan interest stories, we cover it all. You can find our shows on Facebook at BCSN Sports Wrap, YouTube at MyJBN Online, and everywhere you listen to podcasts like Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find the show on the Jericho Broadcast Network's app. Make sure to download. We look forward to you joining the conversation and being a part of the show. Back here on the BCSN Sports Wrap, AD, Florida A&M University. Kelvin from Alcorn State University had to jump off. He had uh, a previous commitment. Dr. Cavill, Prairie View, and Mo Carter, Southern University. We got a good old swack roundup going on up in here, fellas. Make sure so, you, you make sure you throw in my Texas Southern. I don't oh, yeah. Te- Texas, uh, currently working at Texas Southern. Where I'm, we gonna do- I'm actually an alum of both institutions. All right. Well, I'm not going to throw my SIAC up in here with uh, Tuskegee exactly. and Mo-, Mo Carter, who's a graduate of Southern University, used to work in Montgomery, Alabama, where he covered Alabama State University, currently works in Huntsville, Alabama, where he covers Alabama A&M University. Well, I think we hit like eight of the SWAC institutions right there. Oh, and let me throw this out. Kelvin from Jackson, Mississippi, where Jackson State is at. So we, we, we pretty much got the uh, SWAC covered between the four of them. Talking about baseball and softball, that's pretty good bad average. That's pretty good bad average right there. You know, th- all you need is 300 to be in the Hall of Fame. We, we, we beyond the Hall of Fame with those numbers right there. But, uh, Getting back to what I wanted to get into before we uh, pick up this show and get out of here. Recently, the we had some, I, I don't even know how to describe it. We had some negotiating, some posturing with the contracts with the Magic City Classic. Mo, you're there. You're in Huntsville. Obviously, you know the Alabama A&M perspective probably better than any of us. But you know the perspective from both sides uh, since you're there in the state of Alabama. If you would, just kind of take us through what we've gone through since the end of football season with the Magic City Classic and what the outcome is and, you know, in your opinion, some of the good and bad with the outcome that we've had with the contract negotiations with the Magic City Classic. All right. So at the end of the 2022 uh, season, the cur- that current contract between the Alabama State Hornets, Alabama A&M 
Bulldogs, the city of Birmingham, and then um, you know entities like Alabama Sports Council. That contract to basically have that game played in Mo in uh, not Mobile, so, no wrong wrong part of the state, Birmingham. <laughs> wrong wrong game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wrong game, <laughs> wrong game. Uh, but yeah, that to have the Magic City Class still be playing in Birmingham. Well, that one had expired, and they had not came to terms on an agreement to extend what you had, which is something they had been doing the last few times prior to the game because they would always announce it at the press conference. <laughs> so. Um, maybe right around New Year's or right before New Year's, there was a verbal agreement between both teams uh, and the city and the other entities. Well, following the verbal agreement, Alabama State went ahead and signed on the dotted line. It was like, okay, look, we're good or whatever with this. Uh, we expect to see the pay raise, all that jazz or whatever, because that's kind of what the verbal agreement was kind of stating. Alabama A&M was still a little hesitant because, you know, you got to think, uh, new president coming into the situation uh, with Dr. Wims, who had already been on campus, so he knew the inner workings of things. Also, new athletic director in Dr. Paul Bryant, who's been around various um, HBCUs, but still, it was his real, you know, first, what, five months, I think, on the job at that point. So, cl clearly, those guys are going to want to look into it a little bit more and all that. Well, eventually, Alabama A&M gets on board and signs a contract or whatever with the city of Birmingham. Them signing the contract with the city of Birmingham about three, four weeks ago or whatever solidified that the game was going to be played in Birmingham for at least the next four years, nine times, well, 99 out of 100% or whatever at Legion Field for the time being, unless there's something else that changes. But apparently we found out later that Alabama A&M did not sign a deal with the Alabama Sports Council. And because they did not sign a deal with the Alabama Sports Council, or ASC, they, quote-unquote, missed out on an additional payment. And that payment ranged somewhere around $700,000. They're already going to get $500,000 for playing in the game or whatever, just like Alabama State was. Well, we came to find out that, that there was a deadline to actually sign that thing with the ASC, and they didn't, they didn't meet it, slash didn't decide to go ahead and sign or whatever anyway, which I did find something very, very interesting or whatever about that. Um, then a few days later, we find out that it seemed like the ASC went ahead and rewarded Alabama state with an increase in the money that they were going to pay them. So in the years that Alabama state will be a home team over the next four years in this conference, uh, conference game in the magic city classic over in Birmingham, they're going to receive a payment of, I think, 800 thousand or something whatever which brings their payment to like 1.3 million in their two seasons that they'll be the home game, home team now alabama a&m did not do that so the years that they they that that alabama a&m is the home team only both teams are only going to get five hundred thousand dollars from payments wise or whatever and those are the updates that we've got from the magic city classic clearly i know both teams and administration have been asking for more money through the years, I do find it interesting that the ASC rewards one team for signing with them and one team for and doesn't do it for the other team or whatever because because they didn't sign by a certain deadline. And actually, I text a few people, including Dr. Cavill, and he bought he asked a very good question like, "What's the purpose of the Alabama Sports Council during the years that Alabama State?" And Alabama A&M play, and Alabama A&M is the home team, 
but yet the Alabama Sports Council is not paying any additional money in those years. So that's kind of where we stand at with the Magic City Classic. So it'll continue to be played in Birmingham over the next four years. Um, as of now, at Legion Field, they still talks about trying to see if they can negotiate it to protect the stadium, but there's some other things that you can just go all the way down the line, and we ain't got enough time to talk about all that or whatever. But the main thing right now is that, yeah, the game will be played Legion Field next four years in Birmingham, uh, and in the year that Alabama State plays, they get paid a little bit more than what Alabama A&M get paid in the year that Alabama A&M is the home team. Um, both Alabama A&M and Alabama State get the same amount of money, which is only coming from the city of Birmingham. All right. Uh, before I turn over to Doc, I've got a couple of questions. And I'm co- I'm coming with these questions as just Joe fan right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm coming Joe fan as with with a math background, that, uh, economist background that I have. So in the years that Alabama State is the home team correct 1.25 1.3 some somewhere up in there is what they will receive in the years correct. but only alabama state right out in the years alabama and alabama a&m is only getting 500 for four years alabama correct state is getting 1.3 and 2 and 500 each into am I am am I am I understanding that correctly? Yes, you okay. are. Um, yeah, so there'll be two years where there'll be two years where both teams just make five hundred thousand, and then there'll be two years where Alabama State makes one point two, one point three, and Alabama A and M only gets five hundred thousand. And I know you're not the person to answer these questions, but these these are the two questions that I have just related to those numbers. Number one, the money on, in, in those other two years, why is Alabama A&M not able to get some of the money? Because that money was going out anyway, if, if the contract would have been signed like it was supposed to be. And number two, like you said, they're rewarding Alabama State for signing the contract, so they're taking the money that they're saving by not paying Alabama State Give it a little bit of it. I mean, by not paying Alabama A and M, they give it a little bit of it to Alabama State, but they but they still pocket it in risk or not ex- expending the rest of it. So my question number two is, and this this may not this is not a football related question, but where is the rest of that money going? Because obviously they, in order to pay eight hundred thousand to each team, they got to be making that money. From somewhere, so where is the rest of that money going? Or are they saying that by Alabama A and M not signing this contract, that it, that is that much of a detriment to them, where they can't afford this anymore? Which I find hard to believe. Anyway, those are the two questions that I have, just off the top of my head. That's the stat nerd in me coming out with those questions. No, nah, man, those. Are, I mean, those are some great questions, and clearly, uh, we just. Like from a media standpoint, we do not know fully enough of coming from the information that was just provided to us. Sure, I've had some he say, she say type conversations with some folks that may or may not be connected to some things, but clearly that's still not the full 
interpretation and full truths of everything that's going on just in general. So that's why, you know, I don't want to, you know, throw out some any additional thing. I just have to just go ahead and give it to you what you got going on by the fact. But I really do wonder, yeah, uh, what happens to that quote unquote money that they had said they were setting aside or whatever for the team that's not making the additional amounts of, I do wonder that. Also, too, it's the Magic City Classic. It's Alabama A&M versus Alabama State. So why in those years would someone basically be treated as the high and almighty and the other one's kind of like the redheaded stepchild in in, in that sense? I, I really do kind of question that in in a scenario. You know, the, the, swag, the swag guy and me clearly – we don't see a situation where like Southern and Grambling, you know, get divvied up and one gets way more than the other. Like, no, you, you, you do not, you know, you, you do not see that in that scenario. I mean, also Drew, you're a, you know, you, you got the fam, you roots or whatever in you. I'm pretty sure fam, you and Bethune Cookman, no matter what happens with the Florida classic, they see just about even, even bills when it comes to financials, you know, down there, I, I, I would expect. Dr. Cavill could probably go in talking and, you know, being a part of both Texas Southern and Prairie View with their Labor Day Classic for all those years. I'm almost certain that you kind of see even between those. So I, I, I don't understand, me personally, I don't understand why we're not seeing even um, in two particular years just because someone didn't sign a document with a event crew that's putting marketing things really out. Well, I hope this... I, I hope this doesn't turn into a Florida classic back in the 80s when they, they essentially stopped playing the Florida classic uh, because of <laughs> stuff like this with the contract or it turned into a, a Southern Heritage uh, incident where everybody can't get along and ultimately somebody just reneges on the contract or pulls out of the contract and figure it's cheaper to get out of the contract than to continue to be in a contract that is not beneficial to them. Go ahead, Dr. Bill. Uh, I, I know you're itching to get at this. Yeah, I'm going to try to keep some basic questions because I know Mo is not negotiating the contract, so it's fair to ask him that type of question. Uh, but to your point, A.B., and what you were saying is that th this is unique and different than we see with the um, State Farm class between Southern and Grambling State, uh, obviously, the Blue Shield, Blue, Blue Cross Um, um classic of Florida, Florida class between FAMU and Bethune-Cookman. And I think there was a question to ask all these folks working together, and I think it's pretty easy to say, yeah, they may be working together in some capacity, but the two institutions in terms of the president's not working together, and the president of Alabama State made that really clear when he said he needs to do what's best for Alabama State. So that, that's a clear red herring to say that he's doing what he thinks is best for his institution, not in terms of mutually exclusive for both but my question is for you uh, what were some of the concerns that you've been able to wrap your hands around in regards to what alabama a m was asking from the marketing contract because i think it's important for people to understand that there's two uh contracts that were required to be signed one was with the city to play the game both schools have signed off on that contract it was a separate contract that is in terms of the marketing component of this. And that's with ASC, the Alabama Sports Consortium or whatever the C stands for, uh, that is responsible for marketing game. 
So that's a people need to understand that there's two things going on here. So that Alabama and Alabama State have signed on to play the game. And as AD alluded to, it's important for us to understand that this is now a conference game. So the game will be played in terms of the conference. Somewhere. Yeah, it, it, yep. it just the, the negotiating part is where it's going to be played, which is a yes. whole different thing. So you don't have to worry about, in this case, unlike the Southern Heritage Classic where the game literally can be counseled uh, to some degree, it's going to be played. Uh, so that's a little different from that perspective. So, Mo, my question to you, again, uh, with all that on the floor, is what are you understanding that Alabama A&M is having some concerns with in terms of the negotiation they were having with the marketing group, ASC? All right, so this is what was provided to us, and this is like plain terms riding. According to the correspondence uh, from the university to the city and the ASC, um, the universities requested revisions in both agreements that one event official says they may have dire consequences for this year's classic, the fall contest, a home contest between Alabama State and Alabama A&M scheduled for the date. Uh, the agreements extend to line and lock the game with Legion Field. So there are still some concerns about the future of Legion Field. That is continues to be talked. I know that's not the biggest thing, but it's continuing to be talked, especially since the Mad City Classic is now really the primary tenant of Legion Field. And I mean, look, let's let's just be honest. Oh, excuse me, y'all. Um, <laughs> the old gray lady. It's got a whole lot of. It has a whole lot of history. It really, really does. You know. Black college football, PWI, like there's a whole lot of history with it. But she has been showing her age for a very, very long time. And clearly, you know, some folks are really, really wondering about just the facility upkeep. I know there was some talks about trying to see if they could get it named a national landmark where you get federal dollars and then that money can be pumped in every year into it or whatever. I know they got an upgrade maybe two years ago, but... Somebody told me best. It was like, look, that upgrade was basically just to keep it in a standard running position. It's almost like putting a Band-Aid on it or whatever. And, you know, all right, hey, here's all the money. Let's just keep it up the cold, and then it's it's good to go, if you know what I mean. So I'm pretty sure that has something to do with it. And then I think also something as well, you do have a new stadium in protective. You don't have the seating capacity, but there are still ways to, to rally around it. The seed's got... Like, I've heard that. So I have to figure that that's going to continue to be a play into it. But, you know, clearly these conversations are definitely just happening more so between Dr. Bryant, Dr. Wims, and the ASC as far as, look, we just don't see eye to eye on certain things. And maybe maybe they're also saying, look, this is a new regime, a new day. We understand our value. We understand our worth. And... You know, we want a tweak here. Maybe you can give us a tweak there. That's all. That's all we're asking. You know, I think in the probably in the next month or so, we'll probably get full information on what those true, true tweaks are. But I mean, I'll go and say it's probably clear as day that the location of it being at Legion Field has probably something to do with it for sure. The old great lady has arthritis. As if for those who've never uh, been to Legion Field in in a while you may have author look she may have osteo uh, <laughs> osteoporosis yeah osteoporosis so yeah you know, arthritis no yeah go ahead Dr. Follow, Bill, i'm sorry thank you that's a, uh, well, that was actually a point, a point that you made in regards to the great lady uh pun intended 
with that being <laughs> said, um, are you aware of whether I know they gave him a date and that date has passed. And I think Alabama State moved forward signing their contractual arrangement. But are you aware of whether um, they can continue to negotiate or if there are continued negotiations? You know what? I am unaware if of, of either, to be honest with you. Um, the last time I talked to uh, Dr. Bryant, it was literally the day before they signed their agreement, um, you know, for the game to literally be played. And, you know, he, he was straightforward with me. He was like, we're still working on some stuff. We're still working on some stuff. He's like, Mo, I would love to tell you more things, but even if I tell you this or if I tell you that, you know, we may go in the we may go in the opposite direction of it. So yeah, I'm very I'm unsure if um if the negotiation with the ASC can continue forward and can uh, them give them another deadline to go, like, hey, sign with us, we get more money and, and all that jazz. I'm really unsure at the moment. Doc, I hope, I hope, you know, for for the sake of fairness that they are. But then again, I I don't want to sit here and like kind of play sides with it when one person feels that it's not the best overall deal and they have to do what's best for them in general. Follow the question I have is some clarity. I know there's talking about $1.2 million. Is that $1.2 million uh, including the 500 K that's, that's in already set up from the city or is that? Yes. Yes. So it would be a $1.2 million payout in general with, Five hundred thousand coming from the city, and then seven hundred or eight hundred thousand coming from the ASC. Because right around the time where the T, where the uh, where the Alabama Sports Council was kind of going back and forth, like you know, could they give them more money or whatever? It was kind of like, okay, well, look, it looks like we're going to go ahead and just try to commit somewhere between seven hundred and seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And if I remember correctly, those meetings got pretty heated as uh well and not saying we playing a race car thing but it, it, it from the outside looking in it definitely did did look like that so but yeah the overall payment would come from two entities city of birmingham and the asc and then those two dollar amounts would equal a total that exceeds 1.2 million uh, that's fascinating because so you're talking about 750k coming from the asc group essentially um and Times two normally, right? Which I'm saying that that's one point five. You told yeah. uh, total they're giving in terms of that's their pot, but they gave a million because they increased the pot to Alabama State to one point five. So if the pot is already set at one point five million dollars, they gave a million away. That means they only have a half a million left. So the most that that's Alabama and can negotiate from. Uh, would be a half a million dollars, unless they're going to come up with more money, another million dollars. So I'm curious what that looks like. The other thing that's out there, Mo, that you might want to start considering asking questions you can get your hands around uh, next time you follow up, is what I'm intrigued about now is essentially negotiation is for the rights of Alabama A&M to put the stuff on the marketing stuff to get it out there, right? So if you didn't sign mm -hmm. a contract, you don't have the rights to Alabama A&M. So how do you market the Magic City Classic if you don't have the rights to Alabama? 
You know, that that is a very good question. I mean, because clearly the official logo has, you know, McDonald's and Coca-Cola, and then it's got the Alabama State Hornet on one side and the A&M Bulldog on the other side. So that's So that's, that's where something. I'm saying somebody, some people are asking, what is the negotiation power at Alabama A&M? So that, those are some questions I think that you can ask and get out there, and it would be intriguing to find out. If, you know, not to say they would have to tell you, but those are some things that come to mind, understanding the market component. You have to have the right. So, yeah, Alabama State can say they're doing all this, but it will be interesting when the flyer comes out. All you can put on there is Alabama State. Yeah. Now, now, Mo, question for you. And uh, uh, you can hopefully you can shine some light to people who are not familiar with the Magic City Classic. What is the economic impact of the Magic City Classic for the Birmingham region and in general, how does that compare with other big events in that that, uh, that occur in that region? Because we know uh, Birmingham is home of the of the uh, whatever, it is. is it still called the Final 48? It was called the Final 48 when I lived in uh, Alabama, the high, the high school basketball tournaments. And we just know that they had the NCAA first round there this past year. So what what is the economic impact of the Magic City Classic, and how does it compare to some of the other big sporting events that occur in that region? Um, economic impact for, uh, for the Magic City Classic, especially in the Birmingham region, you know, ranges somewhere between about 21 to 25 million, you know, per year for, you know, for BHAM. And also to answer your question, the Final 48 is just now known as the ASSA Basketball Finals. They made that change whenever high schools added Class 7A here in Alabama. But it's still, be, it's still being played at um, Legacy Arena inside the BJCC uh, for sure. Same place that hosted the first, first and second round of the NCAA uh, tournament, which had both Alabama and Auburn playing in uh, those games. And as far as economic impact, yeah, it's somewhere between 21, 25 million Roughly, you know, that's that's like the numbers. I've, I've been here almost 10 years now, and that's the numbers I've kind of heard between that. I think I've seen it exceeded maybe once or twice, but I'll go ahead and just go with the average of that. So, yeah, City of Birmingham and surrounding areas make a lot of money off the Magic City Classic. One thing I can say is that you do have not big events, but you have events that, like, put the Magic City Classic's name out there, you know, in one way, shape, or form. Perfect example. So, this upcoming week, um, the Regents Tradition, which is a huge golf tournament at the um, at a golf at a golf um, golf well, course in Hoover, well, if I'm not mistaken. Jones. One of the yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah, so it, that's happening this week, and you know their pro am every year always brings Nick Saban, Bo Jackson, Charles Barkley, you know, and all kind of other guys. I think um, you know through through. And anybody that has any type of popularity that people just would know, they're they're usually coming through it. Well, through the years as well, um, the head coaches of both Alabama State and Alabama A and M have also been on uh, the Pro Am golf trail as well. So, you know, previous years we had seen Coach Maynard and uh, former Coach uh, Hill Ely, but as of last year it was Coach Maynard and uh, you know Eddie Robinson Jr. And I looked on the schedule; they're scheduled to be on that tour uh, once again, and I think. They're playing for money that will eventually like go into the Magic City Classic pot or 
something of that nature. But yeah, you know, you see the logo and all that, and they'll have some other things when it comes to college fairs and things of that nature. Then clearly, whenever you get to the week of it, between the tailgating and all the other events or whatever, it definitely, you know, it definitely draws from that. So yeah, definitely huge economic impact. I do feel that there should be a little bit more happening from a payout standpoint, but that's just me on the outside looking in. I mean, clearly, I'm not the one negotiating like uh, Dr. Cavill says. You know, I, I'm not that person in, in that room, so I can't say that, but clearly, you know, you'd always love to see a little bit more go out, but if it's not part of the plan, then I can't say anything else beyond that. Okay. Any, any final questions from old Dr. Cavill? No, that's all I had. Great information that he's provided, and it's obviously... Uh, brought uh, a clearer understanding in some formats, but it also allows us to ask additional questions and keep up with Mo to find those answers. Right. Speaking of keeping up with Mo, Mo, won't you tell everybody uh, where they can find you, uh, how, how to follow you, all the plugs, and by the way, great calling with you this weekend. I know I said it before, but I want to say it again, especially on that championship game. Uh you weren't on the 12 minute marathon with me, were you? No, you were on the opposite. No, yes, I, you was, were. I was only you started, I was you only started on with on you guys from 10 of those 12 minutes because <laughs> I had to go get to another game. Yeah. Dr. Our game went so long. Uh we ran a three-man booth, thought we were gonna get out of there, and a game started on another field. So Bo had to pull off of our game to go start the other game by himself. And then when we finally finished our game. We came over and helped him out and uh, became the second and third voice of him on that other game. But go ahead, Mo. Tell everybody where we can find you at. Absolutely. On Twitter, you can find me at Mo Carter, M-O-C-A-R-T-E-R, Fox 54. It's the same thing also on um, on my professional Facebook page. You know, go ahead and check me out. I'm here in the Huntsville, Alabama area. I'm a sports director at Fox 54, WZDX. So, you know, clearly um, – well, hey, Edwin Moore says, I'm dressed for work. Did I just come off air? No, I didn't just come off air. Actually, we had a late church event today. So I literally went to church, went to lunch with my wife, and then went back to church. And now I'm, a, I'm actually in the parking lot of the station because I just didn't feel like popping up the laptop and letting people hear this great conversation I'm having or whatever. So as soon as I get off here, I'll be heading on and get ready for my uh, 9 p.m. show and then my 10 p.m. Uh, you know, sports show as well. So, but you know, just got to stay in the mix. But as I mentioned, yeah, at Mo Carter Fox 54, that's both on Twitter and also on Facebook. I'm here in Huntsville. Clearly, you know, I cover the swag with Alabama A&M and I have, you know, other, other teams I cover as well, including University of North Alabama, Alabama Huntsville. And being in the Southeastern Conference footprint, that means we got to go ahead and cover, you know, Alabama and Auburn. But at the same time, um you know, just gotta just gotta do it just in general and that's hey that's what I want I tell people all the time that's what I went to school for I'm doing what I love and I'm always appreciate the opportunity that was given to me and then on another note ad I appreciate the opportunity of working with you and Charles and Brian and our very 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 busy but good friend um Roy Evans I really pray and hope that he gets some rest this week because man he, he he put in a lot of work as that so shout out to him as well in that sense. A lot of people really just do not know like how hard that man works or whatever with that. But as far as me, yeah, like I said, I gave you all the, the handles and if you actually want to watch me live, you can actually go to 554.com. It's a watch 
live tab. I say maybe about 940 if you don't want to sit through all that news or whatever, and you can check out my sports cast, and then you can actually keep it there. We have a 30-minute sports show uh, right after that, and that's 940 on the Central Time, um, Central Standard Time. The sports cast is the person who always gets cuts out when it rains. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who you telling? <laughs> Go ahead, Doctor Gabriel. <laughs> Go ahead and give all the plugs, my brother. This is Doctor Bill. You can catch me on Inside the HBC Sports Lab every Tuesday and Thursday at Inside the HBC Sports Lab. Of course, that is with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. Uh, starts at six o'clock Central Standard Time. Uh, we'd love to have you join us on the show. You can catch us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. You can get updates from me regularly at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L, like you see on the screen. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can catch us on Twitter at Inside the HBC Sports Lab 1. Uh, make sure you add the one on the Twitter account, but at YouTube and exactly YouTube and uh, Facebook is just inside the HBC Sports Lab. Catch me also on Instagram as well. Uh, but you can catch me on various people's shows, platforms, trying to provide updates and information from a business perspective on uh, HBC Sporting Coach. Thank you, Dr. Cavill, for that. And Dr. Cavill says, uh, for the sake of time, since I'm not going to uh, get out the rest of the BCSN baseball and softball rankings, I will forward them on to you. And if you, uh, you know, we'll get, get an out. opportunity, we, we, uh, everybody can see them on the show, but they will be available on the BCSN uh, Twitter page. Uh, should be available tomorrow afternoon on the BCSN Twitter page. Uh, this is A.D. Drew. want to remind everyone to like, share, subscribe, and download. Please donate. Hey, I need to see a few more thumbs up and a few more hearts when I look at these numbers from today's show. Please, if y'all don't do anything else, you ain't got to like. You ain't got to hit the like button. I need you to hit the subscribe button, though. We definitely need you to subscribe so that we can get our numbers up here. Uh, Godspeed to my partner Brian Fulford, who should be getting close back to the Orlando area after traveling back from uh, Albany, Georgia. Bo knows all about that long ride, uh, except he went the opposite direction. Uh, I, I will be I'll be on the ONG Strike Zone this Wednesday. Brian's going to be out this Wednesday, so you can catch me on the ONG Strike Zone also on this Wednesday. Want to uh, give a special thanks to Coach Mike Ellison. For joining us, our Black College Sports Network softball champion, Edward Waters University Tigers, non-Division One softball champion. Congratulations to E. e Dub, as they like to call it down there. So, swag softball coming up this week. So I think I think I got everything covered. Did I get it all covered, fellas? Yeah. Think you got it all in? Yes, sir. I'm I'm not used to being in the big chair. I like Brian being in the big chair and me being and, and me <laughs> being his backup, but I can't handle the big chair too. So for Kevin Carter, who also joined us earlier, Mo Carter, Dr. Kenyatta Kavir, this is AD Drew. We'll see y'all. We'll see y'all later on next week, everybody. Peace out. Well, holla.